When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Farm Talk with John O'Connor. In our program, Don Crowley, Chargers Dairy Gold, Milk Quality Advisor on Milk Recording, TBC, Mastitis and AMR. Siobhan Walsh, Sustainability Specialist, Irish Farmers Journal and the Government's Plan to Increase Grain Production. Caroline Jennings, PRO Cork West Ploughing Association with news from the rest of the county. But first, Noel Murphy, ICMSA National Dairy Committee Chair, on the situation faced by some fixed-price contract suppliers to co-ops which have not yet taken measures to mitigate some of the unforeseen problems arising from the war in Ukraine. Our biggest fear of it is that they'll go out of business if, if they can. I mean, we have guys ringing us in, and, and they're ringing the office as well in, in Limerick. And uh, we'd be concerned uh, that the 32 cent, there's guys locked in at 32 cent a litre and they have 50 percent of their milk maybe locked in at that. And I mean, look, that's that's way behind where the price is at the moment, around 10 or 12 cent a litre behind where it is. And we'd be fearful that these uh, these farmers will go out of business because we have a situation where the average costs of, of, of with the inputs are rising. They've gone up, maybe direct costs gone up by 60 percent and that's that's a big a big fear we have that 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 they won't be able to stay in business and we'd expect uh, we'd ask and we are asking the processors and co-ops to try and 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 do something for them and try and maybe um, you know give them some kind of a of of, of a leeway on that contract. Um, you know, it's it's look, it's not going to be tenable for them to stay in business if they don't get some kind of a break on it. And a spokesperson for the Hauliers was saying there recently reported comments. He said uh, co-ops, processors, the people in a position to do so should mm. dig into their reserves, dig into their reserves to get over this period. Hopefully the war in Ukraine will end in the not-too-distant future. But with the war in Ukraine at the moment ongoing, causing great damage to food supplies, but do you feel that co-ops and people in a position to do so should uh, dig into the reserves in some respect? Yeah, to a certain extent, I suppose, yes, because, I mean, it is an exceptional set of circumstances that we have at the moment with the whole, um, we say we had the COVID situation, which fertilizer had gone up anyway in price, and then we have the whole war in Ukraine, which is, um, you know, it has, it has driven the price up even further. I mean, we have a kind of a, a unique situation where input costs have gone up, and we say grain prices is, is, is going up, and it's going up probably more. We'll go up another bit, even. And, I mean, fertilizer has just gone out of, you know, a thousand euro a ton for, for fertilizer is, is crazy stuff. Like So, I mean, we wouldn't have expected anything like these costs. And, I mean, that, that's, 
you would expect. I mean, and I suppose on the on the on the price, the fixed price as well. I mean, you you would expect that the people that are buyers would show some flexibility. I mean, even if there is, you know, even if the co-ops and, and processors can do something, you would feel that the, the 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 flexibility has to be shown by the people who are buying the product at the other side as well. We don't want to see it come off the base price as such, because that would affect other farmers maybe who aren't, we'll say, even in 16. Despite everything, Noel, would you see a relatively positive future for milk prices for the rest of the year, hoping the Ukraine-Russia war won't uh, persist? Do you feel that we could Mm. still be optimistic if a few things were done to mitigate this situation of the fixed-price people being locked into contracts? Sure, of course. I think there is there is a very positive outlook for for the milk price for the for the for the this year and into the future. I mean, you, we can't look too far ahead. It's hard to know what will happen. We'll say, but if we look at the next couple of months at least, I mean, into the middle of the year, we'll say there is a good positive uh, outlook, and we expect prices to go up a little further. Even, you know, um, I suppose. Look, we know that production won't be significantly higher around the Europe and even the world because of the cost of inputs, so I would expect the price to, to maintain and, and, and kick on another bit. The type of model that you would support, avoiding debt, simple, low-cost farming, that would be the model for the future. Utilise everything your enterprise generates, including byproducts like slurry. So for people who just can't afford fertiliser and they won't be able to put any fertiliser on their land as things stand at the moment, as things are developing, utilisation of slurry or any other byproduct, people must examine everything they do and hopefully by economising, pull through till we get back to more prosperous and more peaceful times on the world stage. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'd expect, you know, the one time slurry was regarded just as a byproduct, but now people are seeing the benefits of it, uh, you know, I mean, and we kind of have to use it, I suppose, look, I mean, the uh, the advent, we'll say, of the trailing shoe and the low-emission slurry spreading, which you can, you know, get more nitrates out of nitrogen out of your slurry than it's going up into the atmosphere. Maybe that may be an advantage. I suppose, look, people still have to use some bit of some some fertilizer, but at the end of the day, yeah, I would see that slurry has to be has to be looked after and has to be used, uh, you know, prudently. And liquid milk production, people here in Ireland in the winter, we are accustomed to having nice fresh milk to pour into our coffee or tea or drink by itself as a healthy drink. Is that another sector that has to be re-examined and uh, looked at closely or recalibrated? The idea that farmers will be taking all the work for producing liquid milk in the winter, but it's just becoming increasingly not viable or unviable. Yeah, sure. I mean, liquid milk has been a big issue. I mean, the way the cost of 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 the whole kind of monopolising, uh, the way it's been monopolised, we'll say, by the the multiples, and um, you know, cost not being passed back to the farmer, used as a kind of a last leader in a lot of situations inside in these shops where the milk was sold, kind of two litres for. 80 cents or whatever like it's affecting farmers who are trying to produce milk all year round and having maybe having to produce it inside um of of uh, expensive meals i mean that's not sustainable i mean they have to you know that has to be looked at and there has to be more transparency in the pricing and um the the whole the whole idea that you can buy something cheap we'll say and not pay the guy at the other end of it the, the primary producer the farmer 
for his work, I mean, that has to be looked at and that has to be um, a situation which has to be remedied. The unfairness in the food chain. Do you welcome the announcement in recent days of the establishment of an Office of Fairness and Transparency in line with the European Union unfair trading practice? So the Office of Fairness and Transparency, would you hope that would rectify what many, most farmers see as the unjust division of the profits from what the farmer produces. He generates the raw material. Well, it's a good first step, I suppose, to have something like that. I hope it won't be just another quango uh, set up, um, you know, kind of a talking shop with no teeth. This, this, this uh, office has to have, I mean, powers of um, more power anyway, we'll say, that can find um, out where the margins are going in the supply chain and where it can be passed back to the farmer. So I welcome it, but I'm um, I'm kind of guard. I would give it a guard to welcome at the moment until we see if it, is, if it will be effective. Many people feel it might be like the beef plan and the, the, all the investigation of the beef price, the composition of the beef price that the retailer pays. But on the other hand, then we had a Grant Thornton intermission where Grant Thornton said there are some questions you can't ask. So it was found for legal reasons. It couldn't be pursued thoroughly. Mm. So hopefully that we'll call Grant Thornton episode. That won't be repeated. And this will be a straightforward examination of who gets what and then decide whether the farmer feels he's getting a good share. Grant Thornton, that stands out in many of the beef people's minds because especially beef plants, they put so much in investment into effort, but that's the beef sector, a different sector. Would you say, on reflection, that the abolition of the milk quota was a good thing? The abolition of the EU milk quota, do you feel that was a good move which uh, stood the test of time? I think it was, by and large. I mean, it has its critics, I suppose, but look, I I feel it it was. It it kind of had outlived its kind of usefulness in a way, and people we'll say, had come to the situation where we were getting the same price for our milk, we'll say, down through the years. And, I mean, people needed to be able to grow their businesses and grow in such a way that they could maximise the, the, the inputs and maximise their work and their um, whole kind of farming. And, you know, that, I mean, quotas kind of, they did restrict, uh, especially in Ireland. I mean, we have the capability of producing milk cheaper than anyone else in, in the world, practically. And, I mean... You know, having a quarter system that prevented that from happening wasn't really going to be feasible in the long run. So I would, I would think it, it benefited, it benefited the country and it benefited the farmer and it benefited the whole community. Would you like to comment, Noel, in any respect regarding the dairy to beef concept, that, that debate where people have adopted, in some cases, entrenched positions, but, you know, the, the dairy-to-beef debate, and would you have any time at all, or do you, would you even use the dairy-beef index? Yeah, I think I, I would, I would, from a perspective, view, I'd use it, and I'd urge farmers to use it, because at the end of the day, um, if we can kind of use, uh, we'll say, make, add value to our animals, we'll say that we're not not breeding to, for, the her, for the dairy herd, the rest of the animals, if we can make add value to them, and and and, and yeah, and people can you know put them, buy them, and, and and fatten them or whatever, or use them for the food chain. I wouldn't see anything wrong with that as such. If we can do that, you know. Would you recommend that a younger person, male or female, from a farming background, would consider taking over the farm? 
through succession when their parents pass on. So do you see a future for young people in agriculture as a career offering a very good life socially and otherwise? Not the old style where a farmer Mm. perhaps at the end of his days went on a holiday, but where a young person could stay fully in touch with the social life, but at the same time satisfy their desire to be a food producer because that's the most important product in the world, food. Yeah, I think there will always be a future for um, good, efficient farmers and um, I wouldn't see any problem in, in, in encouraging people to go into the, to, the, to, this, to the farming profession. I mean, it's always kind of, you know, um, given, done well for the country and, I mean, food production is something that will be needed into the future so yeah, I would be encouraging anyone who wants to. I'm look. It's, it's like every every business you have to have uh, kind of um, uh, an aptitude for it, and you have to be interested in it. And if a young person was, I would give him every encouragement. And where there are a number of children in the family, would you recommend that the family would get together? We now have the various systems of communication. Mm-hmm. One can be in Australia, one in Ireland, one in Dublin, one in Cork, etc. But with Zoom, etc., could you go into a solicitor's office and sort out the succession question? Because that's something that's very hard to draw down. If you draw down succession, unless there's a clear will and a clear path to succession, well, then you'll find when the will is being read, it may mean the five children get an equal share each. And what about the poor man who kept the farm going? Yeah, sure. Look, I suppose, I mean, every situation is unique, but I suppose there are people out there who can who can be brought in with uh, to help. I mean, Tigers have certain uh, advisors who deal with these things. And, 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 you know, I would encourage any family or anyone to sit down and um, if they try... If they some sometimes a successor will be identified naturally through the you know the process of someone who'll be interested in farming and maybe other members of the family won't be interested, but yeah you I mean farm families have to make up do their own make up their own minds on it. But I would think that they would want to um, you know sit down and know where they're going and everyone would want to know you know um, I suppose what is happening and if um, it's nothing it's, it's always better. We'll say to have the discussion uh, so that everyone knows where they where they fit in, rather than not have it. Now, the topic of running your machinery, running tractors, and the cost of green diesel. Green diesel—that's something which I think you are very concerned about. The cost of fuel to run machinery. Yeah, sure. Look, I suppose at the end of the day, everything—I mean—to do with the whole um, inflationary situation we're in at the minute. Um, I mean, one of the things there, I suppose, is for the price of 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 diesel for is 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 creating a lot of um, you know anxiety for farmers, especially in rural people. So, I mean, um, on that one, we'd like to see more done to maybe on the tax side of that. Well, certainly that's something which everyone is concerned about, the cost of fuel, be the office work, etc. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Noel Murphy, the recently elected Irish Creamery Milk Supplier Association National Dairy Committee Chairman. Thank you very much indeed, Noel. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Joining us on the programme, Mr. Don Crowley, Dairy Gold, Chagask Milk Quality Advisor. First of all, Don, welcome to the programme. Now, in recent years, antimicrobial resistance, AMR, has become an increasing threat to animal health and indeed even to human health. Now, using milk recording, treating mastitis, dealing with TBCs and SECs, 
and thermoduric bacteria, how can we cope with AMR and hopefully keep AMR at bay? Yes, John, I suppose, look, AMR is, is, is controlling the use of antibiotics, especially for use for preventing infections. They're still going to be available for controlling infections that are there, and your veterinary surgeon will be using them. But it's to use them for, for preventative use, and that's where selective dry co is coming through, that we, we're not allowed, as of from the end of January, to use antibiotics to prevent cows that have a low infection. So how do we identify that? The only way of doing that is through milk recording. So people need to line up, if they haven't done it already, they need to line up a milk recording now as soon as possible, especially to analyse how their last drying off period went down and to help them set them up for the lactation going forward and build a profile of their herd so they'll know which cows to selectively dry off and which cows will require antibiotics. And they'll need that when they're talking to their vets. And there's no other way around that, only for milk recording. And it's just to get in contact with Munster or Progressive, to line yourself up for it, organise your help, and get the, the ball on the road. And, of course, this milk recording, selective dry cow therapy, all of these things are now in compliance with the European Union, new regulations on animal remedies, etc. But there is a derogation till June, one aspect of the antiparasitic remedies. I understand the farmers have been able, in consultation with vets and the minister and the European Union, to obtain a derogation to one aspect of this which had been regarded as most controversial till June but effectively people should be working as if the European Union regulations amended are in operation. Exactly John, look the, the, the legislation is there but there has been a derogation until June to allow farmers I suppose a customised to the setup and, and the vets and so forth but the bottom line is it's here and we have to work on it and the start of lactation is the time to go to get your ducks in a row um, I suppose, look, th- th- there's, a, there's a selfish aspect to it as well in the sense that you're trying to make sure that antibiotics will work on your farm when you need it. So, like, appropriate use of antibiotics and using preventative medicine and using the records that are there. But you can't do that without records and accurate records. And milk recording offers that ability. And there's so much more it offers. Like, how, you know, in the present circumstance with the cost base so high on farm, like carrying cows that are not pulling their weight, they need to be identified and taken out of the system because it's just not financially viable to be carrying these. And people that have been milk recording for a number of years have the advantage of identifying the bottom 10%, pulling them out of their herd, breeding from the best cows in their herd, and they're driving their business on. And it's really safeguarding for the future, especially the way the, the way the thing is looking at the moment. And hopefully there'll be a quick fix, but there may not be, and this could go on for a number of seasons. So... It's important that people that are not milk recording get started. People that are milk recording and haven't done their milk recording yet just get going on it because it's crucial at the moment to identify how your last trico went. Operating in the dark if you are not milk recording. Absolutely, Jan. And like, you know, your beef price is very high. Your cost of fertiliser extremely high. So like carrying these cows that are not going to pay their way, you're dead right. You're, you're, you're in the dark. Without, without information, you're, you're going nowhere. And you, the problem is you make the wrong decisions. And that, that's, that's as detrimental as making no decision. Dealing with TBC and a word or two about the background to what it actually is and how it affects the price for your milk. Yeah, so the TBC is a total bacteria count that's within your milk. And within that, then, a lot of the co-ops are testing for a thermoduric bacteria inside that, which is a proportion of the bacteria within that milk. And it, what it is, uh, co-ops, measure this because it has an impact on 
the quality of the product that we can make, the shelf life of the product, and the type of products that we can make. And I suppose the fact that there's a cues of collection, we're all collecting each other's milk. My high TBC milk will have an impact on other low TBCs that were in the trucks themselves. So it's very important that we control the bacterial load that's inside the milk initially that we're starting off on. And I suppose the three main factors that we would see that are causing these issues is number one, not enough adequate hot washing. That's water starting at 75 degrees and you're dumping it at 45 degrees after 8 to 10 minutes. Number two, not adequate amount of water and detergent being used in the sense of inadequate dilution rates and stuff being used. People not reading the label. I suppose the third and final thing is not adequate descaling. Three times a week, descaling needs to be carried out to have adequate cover from the point of view of this, especially since we're in a chlorine-free environment. We need to be going with more descaling. And three times a week, descaling is required to maintain good thermogenics and good TBCs in, in, in your system. And above all, hygiene, of course. Hygiene, when you're changing anything which is uh, loose or can be worn out or become infected, to make sure hygiene is uh, top class. And the water, as you've said there, must be chlorine-free now, I understand. But to have the right water, the right price, and of course, there are people stepping into these um, spaces to provide the service to give you hot water without the chlorine. Absolutely, Janet. Like, look, you have you heat recovery systems, you solar systems, you have very energy efficient type systems that are there, and, and um, you know they offer great alternatives for farmers to achieve high. So, basically, your hot water cylinder is like your battery for these solar panels. So it becomes makes it very efficient, and you're sorting it, your your business and by you preventing any of these penalties coming for TBCs and thermogenics ensuring that you have a very clean, adequate plant and minimising the bacterial load that's inside the milk. Don, mastitis. How can we prevent mastitis and recognise it if it's there and deal with it? Look, the first thing I suppose, Jan, is early identification is crucial. And the second thing is minimising the spread of that cow to other cows. That, Like if I have an infected cow inside milking, there's a potential that she can spread it to the next 68 cows. So early identification minimise the spread, and then the appropriate treatment. Whether that's an intramammary tube with an anti-inflammatory and an antibiotic, it is very, very important that farmers take samples from them before their treatment to know their enemy. You take your sample, you put your cone number and your date in it, and you put it into the freezer. You can freeze it. And if you get a number of samples, you can drop them into the lab, culture them, and the bacteria that's causing the problem gives you a great indication of where the problem is coming from. Then you have your milk recording on top of that, and you put all those ducks in a row, and then you have your, 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 you know, you have your armory of where this problem is. Is it a milking machine issue? Is it a housing issue? But early identification, prompt treatment, and minimising the spread. They are crucial, Jan. In order to get on to this excellent system of milk recording... Ring Monster, Monster Bovine, to line up. When can I get it done and how often can I get it done? And the second thing they need to do, if their herd isn't freeze-branded, they need to get them freeze-branded because they need to be able to identify them inside in the pit when they're doing their recording. The help is there, the information is there. I know that people find it very difficult and don't want to do it and leave it to the last minute. But it's-, it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Something they should really embrace especially in the present climate, any climate, but especially in the present climate. Thank you very much indeed for that valuable information, Mr Don Crowley, Dairy Gold, Milk Quality Advisor, and also Milk Quality Advisor for a number of co-ops in his role as the Chagask Dairy Advisor. Thank you very much, Don. Thanks, Jan. IFA National Pigs Committee Chair Roy Galley is calling on processors to deliver a very significant price increase for pig farmers. He said pig farmers have been hemorrhaging money since September of last year, 21, and losses had risen to €40 Euro per pig sold. Since the introduction of the IFA's DNA scheme, the Irish pig price has been at the European average. He said we are currently 30 cents kg below it. Farmers need an immediate price increase given the very serious crisis in the pig sector. And, Mr Scully said, cash flows now are unsustainable – this, he emphasised, was an extremely urgent situation. Roy Galley is calling on all processors to announce a rise to restore the Irish pig market to the European average level. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell, says he's acutely aware of the challenges facing pig farmers. Minister McConnell met the IFA this week to discuss the future of the pig sector. Pig farmers protested outside his department on Tuesday morning, calling for a €100 million rescue package. Speaking in the Doyle on Tuesday night, Minister McConnell said he's considering this proposal. He was responding to Deputy Matt Carthy and South West TD Christopher O'Sullivan. Thank you, Minister. And Minister, I know that you met um, with some of the protesters today. Uh, I know that they were impressed by your your knowledge uh, of of the sector uh, and the fact that they are in crisis and that... um, measures need to be taken in order to try and um, stem uh, that crisis. Um, but, you know, and I don't have to tell you about the pig industry in Ireland, the fact that it's worth $1.7 billion to the economy, the fact that it employs about 8,000 people. Um, but what you may not know is, is what it's worth in my local area in West Cork, my constituency, and particularly my, around my hometown of Clannacilty, Timaleague, um, Lepros, Carberry, uh, right into Bandon. There's a pocket there that is very heavily reliant on, on the pig sector. Um, the village of Timaleague itself, it's quite a, a big village, but it's very reliant on uh, the pig sector for in, in employment. You've uh, Staunton's uh, Foods um, right next to the village, employs about 300 people, and, and um, you know the village is very dependent on that for 
its economy um, and its its lifeblood. So um, it, I'm very, very acutely aware of um, what the pig sector means to, to West Cork and the loss of it and the loss of any pig farmer, the loss of any industry um, will have a devastating uh, effect. So I'm pleading with you here now for a, an intervention, uh, for a um, something in lines with what the IFA have sought and, and put in their submission. Um, you know, the industry is in big trouble. They're making huge losses. They predict that they'll make a loss of about 160 um, million between um, September 2021 and March 2023 in that short 18-month period. Um, so we we certainly need need to intervene. And I guess, look, it's, it's not government's fault. You know, it's, this is down to international pressures. This is down to international situations, the lack of... Uh, the lack of feed and the cost of feed um, and farmers are very wel- welcoming of the €20,000 payment under the um, exceptional payment but we need to look at the stability Thank fund they're looking for £100 million. Uh, that would be £50 million to a levy so we, at least to look at it and get an answer for them Minister as soon as possible. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much Deputy Carthy and, and Deputy O'Sullivan for uh, placing the topical issue here uh, this evening and I've met with the AFA and members of its pig committee as well as other farmers in recent times and um, I fully understand the size and scale of the challenge facing the sector. Indeed, we'll be meeting them again at 9pm tonight. And as you say, Deputy O'Sullivan, I met with them on Kildare Street um, and all of the farmers that were present there today as well and spoke with them. The continued development of of the sector is is a priority for me and for the government, given the pivotal role the industry plays in the national economic context. It's the fourth largest agri-food sector and has shown remarkable growth in recent years. The sector supports approximately 8,000 jobs spanning production, slaughter, processing, feed manufacturing services. And our pig farmers have always been remarkably resilient, but I'm acutely aware of the challenges that they're facing at present. The pig meat sector across the EU has faced significant challenges in recent times, including the impact of African swine fever in a number of member states and consequential loss of third country markets from that. Obviously, this has had a knock-on effect on supply and prices within the single market, and the current situation in Ukraine has really exacerbated these challenges I have had ongoing discussions over recent weeks with the main banks to discuss the current challenges in the pig meat sector and the importance of their ongoing support. I've emphasised the importance of the pig sector, its overall resilience and the importance of their support to their customers through the current downturn in the business cycle. The key message I give was that farmers are experiencing cash flow difficulties and that I am giving should engage and they have been doing this with banks as soon as possible Um, and it's important that there's a partnership there at this difficult time. Separately, I've met with the, banking, the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland. I met with them yesterday to discuss the, uh, or with, I met with them previously to discuss the Brexit impact loan scheme, uh, and also the COVID-19 credit guarantee scheme, both of which are, are financed by my department in partnership with the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. These finance schemes can be used for working capital and include features which address the current financial needs uh, of, of, that are for farmers. We're also um, aware very much of the cyclical nature of commodity markets, which for the pig sector at this time is compounded very much by rising input costs. And during this period, maximum flexibility of financial matters is needed to ensure the ongoing viability of those in the sector. As I said, I've had recent meetings with the IFA president and, and pig committee members to discuss concerns. At these meetings, 
I reiterated the government's commitment to supporting the sector. As you know, I recently announced the Pig Exceptional Payment Scheme, uh, which is, uh, funds up to €7 million, Euro, uh, which is an, uh, an urgent short-term response to assist producers that would be viable but for the extreme current circumstances and to allow space for a more medium-term adjustment to reflect market signals. It was a once-off scheme paying up to €20,000 per farmer, and the first tranche of payments was made last week with remaining applications due for processing and being processed as soon as possible. Uh, that scheme was a clear commitment of mine and the government's uh, 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 commitment to supporting the pig sector. It's part of a wider package as well of measures to support the sector, including intensified efforts by Board BIA to promote quality-assured Irish pig meat, uh, in the domestic and export markets with dedicated media advertising campaigns underway nationally as well as EU-funded pig meat promotion programmes running in key export markets. Chugusk have also uh, intensified its dedicated ongoing advisory supports being provided to pig farmers actively engaging as well with them. Um, and also at EU level, I've been engaging in, in relation to the European Food Security Crisis Preparedness Response Mechanism as well, um, Alaska and Corla. And my department is currently examining the detailed requirements of conditionality attached to the exceptional aid allocation to Ireland of 15.8 million euro. Um, obviously, as both deputies have, have raised, um, there's been a, a proposal put forward by um, stakeholders and by, uh, through the IFA, um, in, in which I received uh, um, on Wednesday uh, week last. My department officials have been assessing that. Um, uh, I've, I'm meeting further with AFA today uh, to consider and uh, uh, to, to discuss that proposal. I'm aware of the acute situation facing the sector um, and will continue to engage with them in terms of what the appropriate response is and thank both deputies for bringing it to the floor of the doll here this evening and their advocacy on behalf of the sector. Next in the programme, Mokra News. Hi John, it's Mairead here, Ballincollig PRO and Shandoon PRO. I have some notes from Makra for this week's Farm Talk. Carberry Makra will host a dinner dance on Saturday, April 2nd at the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. It gets underway from 7pm. On April 22nd, Whitechurch Mocker will host a bingo fundraising night in collaboration with Embrace Farm at Cades County in Glenville. It starts at 8pm. Best of luck to everyone heading to the NTC semi-finals taking place in two separate venues over one weekend. So on April 2nd in Athboyan County Mead and on April 3rd in Thurless County Tipperary. The final it takes place in Mullingar Arts Centre on May 21st. Makra's Mr P Weekend takes place on April 8th and 9th. Best of luck to Whitechurch Makra's Connor Murphy, who will be representing Shandoon. Keep an eye on our social media pages to see what we're up to. New members are always welcome, and if you join during March, you get 18 months membership for the price of 12. Thank you. And thank you, Mairead. Mairead Tuig. Next, ploughing results from the rest of the county. Joining us on the farm programme, we have the Public Relations Officer PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association, Caroline Jennings. Caroline, welcome to the programme. I understand you have an update now on ploughing events in the west of the county. Yes, John, thank you very much. With ideal conditions overhead and underfoot last Sunday, the 27th of March, Kilbritton Ploughing Association held the county ploughing final on the lands of the Draper family, Artie Tighe, Kilbritton. The results are as follows. Senior conventional, first, Jim Grace. Second, John Murphy. Third, Kieran Coakley. Under 21, first, Jeff Witcherly. Second, Noel Nine. And third, James Jennings. The intermediate, first, Jerk Kirby. Second, Stanley Dean. Third, John E. O'Donovan. Fourth, Jackie O'Driscoll. In the Macra, we had first, Andrew O'Donovan. And second, Michael White. The three furrow, first, 
Ciara Maguire, and second, Matthew Copley. And in the parish class, we had one competitor, and that was Stacey O'Sullivan. The under 28s, first, James O'Sullivan, second, David Walsh. In the ladies, first, Ellen Nine, second, Katie Hayes. The reversible seniors, we had first, Ger Copley, second, Lima Driscoll, third, Michael Witcherly. The under 28 reversible, first, Fleur Witcherly, second, Connor O'Farrell. And in the three far reversible, we had one competitor, Timmy Lawler. In the vintage confined hydraulic, first, Ger Collins, second, Sean McCarthy. The open hydraulic vintage, first, we had a visitor from Waterford, and that was Thomas Busang. Second was John O'Neill. Third, Michael Ryan. Fourth, Michael Welsh. Fifth, Dennis Cummins. And sixth, Michael Comey. And in the single fur, we had first Trevor Fleming from East Cork and second, Gordon Jennings. Now, at this stage, I would like to take this opportunity to thank 103FM for all their help and support this past plowing season. Also, the sponsors and landlords, who without we wouldn't have been able to run our local matches. And finally, the ploughmen and women are coming out to take part. Thank you very much indeed, Ms Caroline Jennings, PRO for Cork West Ploughing Association. And of course, Caroline, we take this opportunity of thanking you for always being ready with the up-to-date news on the most recent ploughing events. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Miss Siobhan Walsh, Sustainability Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Siobhan, welcome to the programme. Now, recently in the journal, you and your colleagues have been writing about the government's plan to encourage farmers to grow more grain and cereal crops. What do you think is needed to make this plan successful? So, I suppose, John, um, thanks for having me on. So, it's... it's, um 10 million specifically for, for tillage crops. So it's a payment of 400 euro per hectare. Um, so it equates to enough money basically to grow 25,000 hectares of tillage crops. Um, so I suppose that's in order to try and increase our our feed reserves and our fodder reserves, um, given given what's going on in the world. Um, so look, I suppose initially um, people were sceptical skeptical about the scheme. Um, but in recent days, and um, you know, there's a lot of planting going on at the minute. Tillage farmers are busy planting. But in recent days, there has been a lot of interest in this scheme from livestock farmers and maybe dairy farmers um, in particular. Um, but you know, this isn't going to be simple. I suppose uh, the tillage area has taken a dramatic decrease in in the past ten years, not to mind the past forty years. Um, and you know, the tillage area has been, I suppose. You know, we're we're starting to see the value of the tillage area now. That when we're in a crisis like this, we need to turn to to tillage farmers to try and grow more crops. But this scheme won't actually really help the tillage farmers that, that are there at the minute. This scheme is aimed at increasing the tillage area, so it's aimed at grassland farmers, livestock farmers, trying to get those farmers um, to convert their grassland into tillage crops. And I suppose in those areas where the tillage um, where tillage area has declined. Um, we now have a lack of expertise in those areas and we have a lack of machinery and things like that as well. But there are ways around this. I think overall this is a very positive scheme. Um, I think, you know, trying to increase the tillage area is a positive thing for Irish agriculture, not only because it makes us a little bit more self-sufficient, but it's also extremely good for, for the environment. And tillage is also the second highest earner of all the sectors after dairy as well. Um, so, like, 
I suppose, um, in order for it to work, or in order to apply, farmers can they can grow, um, they can grow cereal crops, they can grow maize or beet, um, oilseed rape. Um, they can't grow potatoes. Interestingly enough, I suppose a lot of potatoes would be planted after grass. Um, so, but land that was in um, land that was in potatoes last year that came out of grass the year before can be planted in tillage crops and and qualified for the scheme. Um, and I suppose another important thing to point out is that protein crops aren't in the scheme, but um, some of the budget that you said there, the 12 million, so the 10 million goes specifically for this scheme. Um, and then a proportion of the budget is going to underpin the protein payment. So farmers um, will get paid a minimum of 300 euro per hectare under the protein scheme. Um, and then the rest of the budget goes to multi-species spores and red clover. In 2021, for example, how much grain did we actually produce on uh, in the Republic? So we have about 330,000 hectares last year of, of tillage crops. And of that, there was about 275,500 um, under cereals. So that would be um, spring and winter crops, barley, wheat, notes, and then small bits of rye and trishkale as well. Um, and on average, we, we produce about 2.2 million tonnes of grain each year from our tillage area. Um, and that that remains relatively stable. So, you know, even as the area went down, I suppose varieties and things um, have improved. So yield has yield has, has kind of been at 2.2 million on average for the last number of years. Um, I suppose what's important to find out from this is the tillage farmers, you know, who are there at the minute, who are growing that 330,000 hectares, um, are, you know, they're cutting back on their fertiliser rates this season. Um, and even we had a we had a survey in the farmers journal last week, and it showed um, between sixty and seventy percent of tillage farmers. I think we're going to reduce their fertilizer. And, and from speaking to farmers myself, I know you know a lot of them are cutting their nitrogen rates by about twenty percent. So the tillage farmers that are there at the minute who have the expertise to grow these crops um, are cutting back on their nit- on their nitrogen, and therefore their yield is most likely going to be lower. Um, then we have a potential of twenty five thousand hectares coming into um, the tillage area. That 25,000 hectares probably won't be all grain. There'll be maize and beet in it as well. Um, so we don't really know if, if the total grain production is going to increase because of this scheme. It might just end up replacing um, the loss in grain that, that's going to be there um, as a result of tillage farmers cutting back. So it's unclear kind of what will it actually increase the amount of grain that we produce in the country. One very well-known grain man, Jim O'Regan, Jim O'Regan said it would be far better to enable the current tillage producers, the current grain growers, to encourage them, help them to keep up their production figures rather than trying to educate people from scratch. Yeah, and I think he he, brought, he has a he makes a good point there. Um, I, I think it's a positive scheme. I think it's positive to try and increase the tillage area, and I'd like to see more farmers in tillage because I think it can can offer them, you know, a good income. And I think we have seen um, some farmers, you know, move from from beef finishing maybe over to tillage gradually over the last few years. They're still finishing calf, but they might have took a certain amount of of their grass and put it into tillage. Um, but those, yeah, those farmers that are there with the expertise, I suppose, I've, I've talked to a lot of them lately and they feel neglected by this scheme, really, um, because there's nothing in this scheme for people who are in tillage all the time. 
Um, and, you know, those farmers are also facing into a new cap in 2023 where they're going to hit, be hit massively by convergence. And where they don't have loads of options in the eco schemes are the, the environmental, um, the new environmental scheme, the new gloss. Um, so they, they feel it. They feel a little bit neglected by this scheme, I think, and you know they're going to struggle with with high fertilizer and high diesel costs. And I suppose diesel is a big thing on a tillage farm that's going to hit. It's going to hit tillage probably more than other sectors. With the fertilizer prices going up, up, it could soon hit a thousand euros a ton for fertilizer. And in an article by you, a separate article in the Irish Farmers Journal, Saturday, second of April, you talk about fertilizer and how indeed fertilizer costs can be reduced and uh, the role of uh, clover in fixing nitrogen. So a word or two about who these footprint farmers are, the role of clover in fixing nitrogen and of course um, how people can get around to some extent the high cost of fertilizer by not necessarily using it at all in some cases. Yeah, so the footprint farmers are a group of farmers in the in the farmers journal from from all across the country and from from all the sectors, so dairy, beef, tillage, and sheep. Um, and they're farmers who are you know trying to improve their carbon footprint, trying to improve their sustainability. So they're trying to improve their economic environment and social sustainability. Um, and I suppose our focus this year. Um, from an economic and environmental point of view, is on fertilizer and reducing fertilizer, artific- reducing artificial fertilizer use, and making most of the fertilizer resources that are on our farm. So, um, a few weeks ago, we were doing a lot of slurry testing. This week and next week, we're talking about clover. And you know, everybody has some amount of clover on their farm. They mightn't have loads, and a lot of people will struggle with clover on their farm. Um, but you have to make use of the clover that you have on your farm. So what we were doing um, last week was um, James Humphreys is doing some work down in, in Chagas. Um, they do a lot of work in, in Solihead um, Research Farm on, on clover. And basically what what we're saying is if you have a good distribution of clover across your sward, you can afford to cut back on your nitrogen rate. So clover has a job to do. Its job is to fix nitrogen. And if clover, you know, if we're not allowing clover to do its job, um, then that clover is, is going to die out of the sward because it's redundant. So in order for us to increase um, our clover and increase our nitrogen fixation from our clover, we have to cut back on our, our nitrogen rate, our artificial nitrogen rate. So basically what the article is suggesting, and we'll, we'll go into it in more detail in next week's paper as well, is that um, if, you, if, you cut back, if you cut back a little bit on your nitrogen where you have clover in your sward, um, and then target the nitrogen that you've cut back on those swords at the purely grass swords, um, then, you know, maybe you're going to use your nitrogen more efficiently. Thank you, Siobhan. Siobhan Walsh, Sustainability Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. IFA Livestock Chairman Brendan Golden said, We are now at a critical time of the year for suckler and bee farmers where key decisions will determine the supply of beef for the next three years. He said, These decisions require a commitment from the suckler farmer to maintain the cow until she has reared a calf to weaning in the back end of 2023, which is 18 months away. Brendan Golden said the sector did not have the capacity to absorb the level of cost increases across all the key inputs which show no sign of abating. 
He said the sector must be supported directly as a matter of urgency to allow farmers plan the breeding season with confidence and ensure that they did not lose any more critical mass in circular cow numbers from the country. Prices for lighter stores have dropped as finishers react to the increased production costs and uncertainty for the year ahead. And that's Farm Talk. I'm John O'Connor. My thanks to Barry O'Mahony and to Marit Tuig for contributing to the programme again this week. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.